turn to your Bibles to Exodus. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18, then 20 through 22. Let's read this. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. When, the, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Now jump down with me to verse 20. Two verses down. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. He allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now here's a story of the Israelites. Let me sum it up real quickly because we want to jump into what's going on here. The Israelites were enslaved for 400 to 430 years. There's an argument on both sides. It really doesn't matter. It's about 400, 400 plus. And this was something that happened. And they, the people, God knew what was going to happen. He knew that the Israelites were going to be enslaved. But during that slavery, things were going to happen. There was going to be a group that felt that God was not with them, and there was a group that were going to stay completely dependent on Him. But in the midst of it, God was always faithful in His, in his promises. Always. He promised that the people of Israel would be released, and that they were waiting to be released. And in that, God used one man. His name was what? What was his name? Moses. Come on. Moses. Moses. And he used this one man. And throughout his whole journey, God always showed up. And God was going to use one man to bless the people of Israel. He was not going to take them through a journey to teach them a lesson like when a child is bad. He was going to take them through a journey that was going to prepare them for future generations. That's what he was doing. <clears throat> and too often, we are like the people of Israel. We look at the journeys that we go through that God is trying to punish us. Matter of fact, it's very interesting because when you look at the very beginning of verse, the second part of verse 17 says, God did not lead them along the main road, which was the path of the Philistine territories, but He took them a long way around. Do you know how many days it should have taken them to get to the promised land? Seven to ten days. Over a million people, it should have taken seven to ten days to get to the promised land. But God took them through a journey of how many years? 40. Why? Because in the midst of 40 years, 
God was going to reveal Himself in such a way that they would be able to experience all of God's blessings. And when you look at this journey to the promised land, God always revealed Himself. Always revealed Himself. And right when He left, He allowed Moses, as the plant defines Him as, in the very same way that he met him. And it says here very specifically that he had guided the people in two ways. With a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire. And what we've been doing and what we are going to keep on doing for a long while is that we need to begin to understand who the holy who is. And how he worked in the Old Testament, how he worked in the New Testament, and how he does the very same thing today. You see, that's the problem. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit works the very same way that he did in Scripture. And we are so proud and arrogant That we believe that just because we are in a high technology, high academic world, that we have medicine and we have all these things, that God does not work in the United States of America like He does in third world countries. And I'm telling you, that is a lie from the devil. Amen? Seriously. Amen? I mean, seriously. Thank you. I think Mary gave me that amen, right? Was that you? Who is that? Back there? Mariana? You rock. Seriously. There has to come a point that the same Holy Spirit that was in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the early church and the 1500s and the 1900s when A.B. Simpson set out on this journey, that it's the same Holy Spirit that works today. It's the same Holy Spirit that you hear that's working in California at Bethel Church. It's the same Holy Spirit that's working throughout the world. But the problem is, is why doesn't He work like that for you? Or for me? And I believe that God used imagery all throughout the Old Testament to prepare the people of God for the full manifestation of Jesus And for the full manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus gifted us Him. So let's think about this. This is very significant. Why did God use these images? And they weren't just images. They were real, tangible elements. I think it's so funny that when we want to see the hand of God on our life, We want him to do something weird and wacky, right? Isn't that like kind of how TV is? Like, let's do some, let's see God do something weird and wacky. Like the wackier things are, it almost like we believe the more real God is. And I see that even in churches when they believe in healing and deliverance and all these things. It's almost like, how do we conjure up these things so that we can believe and emulate what we believe and want God to be? Well, I love how God in the very beginning of Exodus chapter 13, He used the elements 
natural creation to show his supernatural presence. Do you hear what I said? He used his natural elements to show his supernatural presence. And when you look at this, what God had used, he used a cloud by day and fire by night. But here's what's unique about it for first we need to understand. A couple things. One, God used the creation he already made. They already seen clouds. They knew what fire was. But God shaped it in such a way that every time that they saw either one, that they knew it was God with them. Emmanuel means what? God with us. The pillar of cloud. The pillar of fire. Was actually another word of saying, Emmanuel, God with them. And when you hear the story of how the the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness, we, we almost need to redefine what wilderness is. Because when we think about wilderness, we think about like hiking the Appalachian Trail. We think about getting lost in Ramapo Reservation. We think about the Rocky Mountains. That's not what it was. In many ways, it was desert. With a few trees, a few mountains, some big boulders that they tapped for water to come out. But when God had His people in mind, He prepared them with protection. You see, when you travel through Israel and, and, and anywhere in that, era, in that territory of the world, by day it is hot. The sun is always out. The sun is always beating down unless it's raining. You may have a cloudy day once every year or so, but the vast majority of the weather by day is heat, scorching heat. And God created a pillar of cloud that covered the people to protect them from the elements. I mean, think about that. He covered them in a way that protected them from the sun's rays. That even though they would have felt the heat, but the heat was not going to destroy them. We don't hear about people and the Israelites passing out and and getting dehydrated and dying along the journey. We really don't read that unless it was disobedience. But what we read is that by day they traveled and the element that protected them and guided them was a cloud. You see, it's like life. We all have trials. We all have heat. We all have pressure. We all have natural elements and natural relationships and things that want to destroy us and drain us and dehydrate us, figuratively speaking. And yet, God always has a way of protecting us for more than probably we deserve. But then by night, he used fire. Let me just show you what it says here. It says here in verse 18, Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. 
Now, why is that significant? There's two reasons. First, whenever any foreign army invaded another territory, they used fire as intimidation. Do you know this? This is what they did. They would have these huge torches. And so they would lead the army. They would have torchbearers go before them. Horses or walking or camels or however that army did it. And they had these huge torches that lit up the sky as a form of victory. As a form of battle. And so in that, you see this at night that all of a sudden, like we think about this, that, that God only used fire for one of two things. One of them was a sign, just like in this passage says, that they were a people going to battle for the souls of the world. Do you realize that? If it wasn't for the Israelites going into the wilderness, like an army going to war, we would never be sitting here today because we have had people who have gone before us who have gone to battle for us. My parents, my grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, my roommate, my, my, my in-law, my, all this stuff have gone to war for me, for my children, praying for me. Because of that, I believe that I have victory. Even in the midst of what seems like defeat. I think about many of you who were not here day one. You had people going to war for you. You had people praying for you. Fasting for you. With the hope that you would experience the fullness of who God is. So fire was a symbol of battle. How cool is that? Now we think God is like totally not like overpowerful or that he's, he's not manly. He's not all these things. But when you look at Scripture, like he was a warrior for our souls. But also, he used fire so that they could travel by night. That they can move forward. That God knew all the things that were going on. He knew the hearts of men. He knows the hearts of evil men. And there were times when the Israelites had to travel by night. So when you look at a desert, you have two forms of elements. You have the scorching heat and the freezing cold. It's like my daughter's room. We, our house is very, it's, it, it's long. And for some reason, we've had it checked about a hundred times why the heat or air conditioning won't pump into her room. And so Becky will come into our room like one o'clock in the morning like, I'm I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm freezing. So we got a little heater, a little fireplace and put it in there and it, and it emulates light, but it blows heat on. And, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, what God did then was he used the light to guide them by night in a form of battle, but to also protect them from the elements. He gave them heat. And all along, God guided these people. And wherever that cloud went, and wherever that fire went, the people of God began to follow them. 
And for those who follow the cloud by day and follow the fire by night, they reached the destiny that God had planned for them. Do you know what the best part about the Israelites are? They're just like us. They didn't believe the fire and the cloud and the water out of the rocks and all these things were good enough. They got sick of the manna and the quail and the water that God would give them every single day that they would never go hungry or thirsty. And in that, they just always, always reverted back to their humanness. Let's continue. Turn with me now to Exodus 40, verse 36 through 38. I actually like this part better than the first part. Exodus 40, verse 36 through 38. Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all of their journeys. How long was the cloud and fire there? All the way to the promised land. We oftentimes forget about that because there's so many other things that happened in Exodus. But when you look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 36 to 38, there's something very unique that God did. God created us a certain way. And God created that we needed rest. And one of the hardest things that, that I have fallen into and many people fall into is like, I feel like with Jesus, I have to do, 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 do. I have to find this approval. I need to do these things to almost win God's favor. You know what I love about this passage? There were times on the journey and it was more than just stopping for sleep that God would stop the cloud and stop the fire and He would let the people of God rest. Just as He did on the seventh day. There were periods, seasons of rest. And in that rest, you know what God always did? There was a tent, tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And he would hover over this one tent. And everyone thought it was only for Moses to go into. Oh, hey, we'll let Rob go into the tent. If he comes out alive, cool. And if he doesn't, bad. But either way, I'm not going in. Either way. And if Rob dies, we're sending in Omar. And if Omar dies, we're throwing in Jeremy. And then we're going to sacrifice their wives. Right? Because we love to sacrifice their wives. So in that, God always rested. And God always allowed for the people of God to meet with Him. To meet with Him. We forget that. That God is the lover of our souls. That just like when I see my kids that are just, they're, they're, they're on the verge of breaking. Too much school, too much sports, too much life. 
There are times that I stop them and say, no, you are not going. But Dad! God drove the people and He stretched them. Not to break them. But to mold them into His people. And in them he lived up to his character because on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. You want to see something really, really cool? It's in Exodus 14, 19. Don't worry about turning to it. I didn't tell them I was going to do this. Then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. This passage is talking about when, the, when, the, when they were being chased by Pharaoh. You see, too often in our lives, we turn around and we start focusing on our regrets. And the Israelites did that. They were all set to be released. They were all set to be sent to the promised land. But when life got hard and difficulties came, and they realized that there was someone chasing them. They realized that they were getting sick of the manna and the quail, even though they had all their protein and carbohydrates they needed. When they got sick of camping out, when they got sick of you fill in the dots, they would have rather gone back to slavery as an Egyptian than journey to the promised land that God had already created for them. Milk and honey. Symbols of life and prosperity. But you know what God did? And this is how real God is. This is why you need to be in your word. This is why in the morning you need to get up, make your favorite coffee, tea, hot chocolate, chocolate milk, water, whatever it is you drink, protein shake, you name it. And you need to sit down with God's Word and read it so that the stories of God become alive in your life, not just through the life of Rob Parker. Because what God did was, He says, I'm not going to allow you to regret anymore. And God said, I'm going to give you rest and I'm going to deal with your past. And so in the prime times when it could have been easily said that the Israelites wanted to go back and surrender to Pharaoh, God took that fire and He lifted it right over their head and placed it before them and said, if you look back, I'm only going to let you see Me. Me. Do you see God in your past? Do you actually turn around and see how God rescued you? That in what you thought were your heydays, that God was saying, wow, I am so much better. You don't even see any good that came from that garbage. And i got to be honest with you. I look back on my past and I see a flaming fire that says, don't go there. Go here. How amazing is it that God knew that when sin invaded the world, that we would have a tendency to look back rather than look forward to the promises that He has for us. 
Think about how intricate we are made. Think about the babies that have been born recently. That in those moments, every little thing that God has created in them, even in the midst of what we call perfect, that there's still this tainted thing called sin, that God is going to use all things to reveal Himself. All things. And do you know what is so interesting about all of this is? If we could trade places with the Israelites, we would. Seriously. If we said that we could tangibly, physically touch, feel the heat and the protection, we would choose to be like them than what we have the opportunity to experience now. And if they were, if we could talk to the Israelites today, they would say, we would much rather be you and have what you have than what we experienced. And let me tell you why. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave the Holy Spirit to particular people at a particular time for a particular purpose. We see that. We see between Malachi and Matthew that there's this, there's this gap. Gap. hundred years of gap. That like God's presence just went... Yelled his breath. But all throughout the Old Testament, went all throughout the New Testament. But there were moments, as we see in the Old Testament, that he would When Jesus came, he says, what, I, what the Father is going to do, he's going to consistently breathe into you. For all people, for all times, for all purposes. And when you look at the fire and the cloud, all they were was a symbol of guidance. We have the greatest guide in all of our lives. We have the guide that says that that maybe things aren't going to turn out the way that you thought they would, but they will turn out better. I talked with someone yesterday and they said, I I just got to tell you how thankful I am. My kids, my wife, how everything's unfolding. They said, yeah, I look back and my career never turned out the way that it would, but everything else is so much better. And that's what God does. We think something is best for us and God says, I have something so much better for you. I want to give you a couple New Testament passages. First, we need to realize 
The Holy Spirit desires to guide us, lead us, protect us. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into how much truth? All truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the what? Future. The Father tells the Son, the Son tells the Spirit, and the Spirit speaks to us. I loved when Hurricane Sandy came, Hurricane Sandy came, and God told me to fast. And I went on a long fast. And it was one of those days where I'm just like, something's not right. And I went to Sue, I said, something's not right. She's like, don't say anything to the church. I said, something's coming. She goes, don't you dare. Everyone will leave. I went to Omar. He's like, dude, don't say anything on a Sunday morning. Leave it alone, cowboy. Leave it alone. And then I called my friend Mark Shishmanian. I said, Mark, something not right in my gut. And he goes, brother, your gut's right. Something's not right in this area. And so the Sunday before, Hurricane Sandy, remember we said that? We did like a whole preparation. It took 15 minutes to talk about how to prepare for Hurricane Sandy. And how many different people that we got to step into their lives. What the devil meant for bad, God meant for good. I didn't know a hurricane come, was coming. I didn't know this was about to happen. But I knew in that moment that God breathed into me. Breathed into Mark. Breathed into our church. That He was guiding us to help rescue people in need. He guides us. He protects us. What do you think we did? We, we got our house ready. We hosted people for seven days straight. We had 18 people living in our house for seven days straight. I bought a month's worth of pasta for seven days. And my brother thought I was crazy. My wife thought I was crazy. My dog thought I was crazy. But God speaks. Amen? Seriously. Next. That cloud was a symbol of God's chosen people. I'm just going to run through this. Listen to this, this verse, Romans 8.16. For a spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. When I feel down in the dumps, when I feel like I have screwed up, when I feel like I want to quit, there's always this nudge that says, you are mine. God's Spirit joins with my spirit to affirm that nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in who? Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us a new focus and we cannot focus on regrets. He has removed our sins as far as from the east is to the west, it says. And then Paul said this, a murderer, a murderer, a guy who went after Christians' heads, a guy who killed Christians, a guy who never laid his hands on but said, you ten, go kill, go kill Peter. You ten, go have Stephen killed. Do you know why Stephen was killed? Paul's command. Paul commanded that Stephen would be murdered. 
No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. No regret. In your parenting, you did something stupid yesterday. Don't do it again. Allow, your whole, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. You as a spouse, you've been a jerk this week. Stop regretting decisions and start living in the promise. You as an employee, you cheated this week. Stop living in the regrets of your poor choices and begin to trust the promises of God. You as an individual have chosen sinful paths. Choose to live in the promise of God and stop regretting the stupid decisions that you made yesterday. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. You cannot change tomorrow, but you can allow your actions to allow God to change your past. Do you know that? God's timing is always best. Forty stinking years in the wilderness was best. Forty years in the wilderness was best. Not for me, not for you, not for them, but for God. For God allows all things to happen for the good of those who love Him and are called by what? His name. Eliminate the garbage in your life. Eliminate the poor decisions. Eliminate the choices of the past. And begin to allow the presence of a pillar a strength, a foundation to be in your life, to be that rock and that guide that when the hardest decisions come in your life, that you choose to lean on the rock of understanding, to lean into that pillar of fire, to burn out all that garbage, may I say, all that crap, may I say, all that sin, may I say, all those bad choices, may I say, all those things that have ruined you, would you allow the pillar of fire to burn it up? Seriously. So that you can live in the promise of what God has. A life that flows with milk and honey. Sorry I said crap. There has to be a point. I hate this stuff. I hate it. There has to be a place that you trust that in your vocational situation right now, that God is going to use that horrible job to do something awesome. God is using you not getting a job right now to prepare you for something more. God is going to use that failed relationship to do something so much more in your life. And He's going to give you better. Some reason God has been telling me this the last two weeks. You've got to tell the people that who have been divorced or going through divorce, God is going to do something new in your life. Do you know that? Do you believe that? But He's not going to give it to you until you're ready. Until you've gone through the fire. And that's okay. We go through the fire every day, Sue and I. We love hard, 
And there's times we fight hard because we fight for one another. And for you who have lost loved ones, who have lived godly lives and have gone before you, it's not about their memory will continue. No. Their legacy will lead you forward. Their legacy will lead you forward. They are not watching you. They are not looking down at you. They have left you something greater so that they can stand in the presence of God. Look at me, I'm getting all crazy. Seriously, they are standing in the presence of God. Worshiping. They're not worried about this earth. They're not worried about the sin and all the tragedies. They have lived their life in a way that now they rest before God. And in resting before God, they are made whole and perfect. And their legacy and their life is saying, you follow the pillar. Follow the pillar and you will be perfected. I want more. More. I'm going to read you this one thing. It's taken from A.B. Simpson and tweaked by Rob Parker. God supernaturally guided the Israelites. In the same way the church of the living God has a supernatural presence, we have a divine guide! Exclamation point. We have a divine guide. The church of the apostles was a living miracle and so should our 20th century church. The church of the apostles was a living miracle and so should the 20th century church. It will only ever be so when we allow the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to be more to us than our ancient forefathers. Amen. The Holy Spirit is real. I've only tapped into Him. I have moments of overflow, but I'm ready for an outpouring upon my family, upon my future, upon His church. What would happen? And I'll close with this. If we all stop living life like this, and we started leaning into the presence of God, what would happen before you went to bed and you said, God, I'm going to sleep, speak in my dreams? What would happen if you said, God, start showing up at work? And you started looking at every opportunity as an opportunity for God to work. What would happen if every time you stepped into your house and you said, God, how does my family begin to be the church in my neighborhood, in my community? And how do we join with other families to be the church? I'm telling you, it's in that moment that the supernatural things of God become alive. I want more. More. More than ever before. And I want that for you.